0: Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, the podcast brought to you by the PI Programs team at Visient. I'm Courtney Froe-White, Performance Improvement Program Director here at Visient, and your host for today's episode. There is momentum shifting side of care from the hospital and clinics into the home, and we know technology plays a key role. Remote patient monitoring is a key foundational element that aims at improving patient care through digitally transmitted health-related data. Remote monitoring is an innovative strategy to promote health and improve patient management and care. Disease-related and physiological data on the patient are digitally transmitted via telephone, internet, or video conferencing from the patient's home to a healthcare center, providing clinical feedback. Remote patient monitoring can be used to treat both chronic and acute conditions, enabling clinicians to keep tabs on patients in between clinic visits or when in-person care is not possible. Nowadays, remote patient monitoring devices, such as intelligent sensors, wearables, or handheld devices, internet-connected cell phones, and implanted monitoring devices are widely available. So today, we'll dive a little deeper into the latest trends around remote patient monitoring, or RPM, and joining me is our resident expert, Dr. Joe Cummings, Technology Program Director at Vizient. So Dr. Joe, let's find out what you know. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Courtney. I'm glad to be here.
0: Great. So first off, let's start with some of the mega trends in healthcare driving all this interest in RPM. What do you think is the biggest factor driving remote patient monitoring growth?
1: I think the elephant in the room is, of course, the pandemic. So it obviously changed a lot of things in healthcare, but in particular, it changed the use of technology for things like virtual visits and for RPM. And so once hospitals ramped up use of these kinds of digital technologies, because they had to and the patients have gotten used to them and the payers got on board and paid for them, I think that has led to the expectation or maybe even the mandate that we're going to continue to do these things in the future. So for example, one thing that the pandemic really did was drastically shorten the learning curve and the technology adoption curve for these kinds of technologies.
0: Dr. Joe, what do you mean by shortening the learning curve?
1: Well, so during the pandemic, remember that hospitals had some serious capacity problems during the surges. So to cope with these surges, some of them took their RPM programs that they're already running, for example, heart failure or some other chronic diseases, and they just sort of modified and expanded their existing technology to monitor their COVID cases. So this helped to keep some of the less severe COVID cases at home. And in some cases, it also allowed them to discharge their COVID cases earlier because you were following them up with remote home monitoring. And all of this kind of allowed them to reduce their bed usage and make room for more. So the shortening the learning curve part is that some reported that they were able to ramp up these COVID remote monitoring programs in as little as a couple of weeks, which you can kind of compare to the usually pretty slow speed of new technology adoption in healthcare. Like it probably took them a couple of years to get that far in their heart failure remote monitoring program. And in COVID, they shortened that down to a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, I did some ad hoc remote patient monitoring for myself and also my family during the pandemic, but I never actually participated in like a formal group or a program like you're talking about. What's the difference?
1: On the front end, a lot of these programs actually supplied the proper technology like the thermometers and the pulse ox devices. And just as an aside here, I think that the at-home use of the pulse oximeters for COVID was really a big winner as far as showing the real value of remote home monitoring. But the big difference, I think, is that back-end response. So in a true hospital-based RPM program, you need to transmit your physiologic info to the healthcare provider, and they need to assess it and then use it somehow as part of the care paradigm.
0: Okay. That does make sense. So let's move on from COVID if we can. We were talking about megatrends in healthcare and really how that helps drive the utilization of RPM. What other important trends are there?
1: So I think RPM is, or at least it can be, a solution to the access problem that we have in healthcare. So here we're maybe talking about increasing access to care for rural patients or even the urban patients with transportation issues where these types of patients sometimes miss out on care because it's too hard to get to a clinic or a hospital for their checkup. So I think RPM can play a role here in access. Then there's also the chronic out-of-control costs that we know exist in our current healthcare system. And I think RPM is maybe part of the solution if it enables that trend toward the use of lower cost sites of care. And along the same lines, RPM can maybe address some of the healthcare workforce shortage issues that we have now, especially if artificial intelligence is part of your RPM strategy.
0: Aha, see, I knew it. I knew you were gonna mention AI at some point in this podcast.
1: I know. I know. I hate to sound like a broken record, but I do truly think that AI is coming at healthcare like a speeding truck. And if we aren't ready for it, we're in danger of getting run over.
0: I agree. Okay. I promise we'll get back to AI in a little bit. So go on with what you were saying on megatrends. So
1: kind of like AI and that it's really transformative. I think there's another megatrend in healthcare and pretty much every other field as well of consumerism, By which I mean, we now have this huge pool of hyper-connected healthcare consumers who are using the internet and smartphones and wearables and mobile apps for all sorts of healthcare purposes. I think that hospitals can either meet the needs of these folks through digital technologies that they control, or they risk losing them as customers. So this is the theory of disruptive innovation. And I think the bottom line here is that hospitals can either disrupt or be disrupted.
0: Okay, Dr. Joe, as our biomedical engineer and our resident technology guru, I know you wanna talk about some of the technologies for RPM. So what are some of those trends you're seeing in remote patient monitoring sensor technology?
1: So for starters, two big trends I see include wearables and wireless. So let's start with wireless. I think the days of patients with wires dangling from everywhere are numbered. And this includes not just for remote monitoring, but in-hospital monitoring as well. So for example, in the old ways, you have multiple wires for an ECG and another for the pulse ox and another for the blood pressure cuff, and they're all connected to some monitor. And so if you need to go to the bathroom, it's a real hassle where you have to either disconnect everything or drag it all along with you. That kind of inconvenience is not well tolerated, I think, in today's day and age, and it'll especially not be well tolerated in remote home monitoring.
0: I guess this is kind of like the earbuds for our cell phones. They're all wireless now. So what other alternatives are there for
1: RPM? I think the big trending alternative is towards patches. So when I talk about patches, imagine like a small plastic button full of electronics and electrodes, plus the wireless communication technology. And on one side of the plastic case is some kind of skin-friendly adhesive. And so for example, you can stick it to your chest where it can measure all your vital signs. So there are devices like this that you can leave on for two weeks straight. They're waterproof, you can shower, you can sleep with them. Then there are others that you can take off after a few days and recharge and then replace the adhesive and stick it back on. And these you can use at home for months. Another of the trends I think in patch technology is they're making the electronics as small as possible and as flexible as possible for the comfort angle. And then another trend I think you're also seeing is they're trying to add more and more vital signs or parameters that you can collect. For example, I saw one the other day touting collection of 16 bioparameters in 60 seconds. And there's another one advertising collection of more than 20 parameters. And it collects these all day long. And that last one, this obviously includes a lot of derived or calculated parameters, as well as things like activity sensors and sleep sensors and gait analysis and things like that.
0: I really like the fact that it's user friendly. However, do we really need that many parameters for
1: RPM? Probably not. In fact, if you collect too many variables, it probably increases the chances that you'll miss something that's actually important. So my theory is that a parameter is really only important to collect if it's actionable. So that means that there's an available treatment or a given action that you can take based on the absolute value of that parameter. For example, if the systolic blood pressure is above a certain value, can you change the dose of your blood pressure meds? And taking that a step further, I'd say that the actions really need to be well-defined in a clinically validated, evidence-based treatment algorithm.
0: Okay. So we've talked about trends toward more wireless text, patches, and multi-parameters. What else do you see trending?
1: If we look out into the future just a little bit further, I think there's this trend toward touchless or contactless sensors. So again, these are going to be your ultimate in comfort since they don't actually touch you.
0: Okay. Tell me more on how that works.
1: So most of these are video-based, so they might look for micro-movements of your chest, like for breathing rate. Or some even look at subtle changes in the color of your skin, and from that they can estimate heart rate. And then there are even ones that claim that from looking at your skin coloration changes, they can estimate blood pressure too this way.
0: Wow, that's really cool. How does the blood pressure one
1: work? So cuffless blood pressure, it's kind of like a holy grail for remote monitoring applications. I don't think the video-based method is ready for prime time yet, although you can actually download some beta versions of the BP apps for free in the App Store and give them a try. But there are, however, some watches and patches that have FDA clearance now for cuffless blood pressure measurement. And though I'd say that the accuracy of these is still not perfect, I have no doubt in my mind that they're going to get better and they're going to be the way we measure blood in the very near future here.
0: Okay. So speaking of the future and the future of technology, here's your chance, as I promised, to tell us about AI. So how can AI be used in the RPM paradigm? Great
1: question. I'm glad you asked. But one thing I'd say is it's not so futuristic anymore because in my mind anyway, AI is pretty much already here. So AI is already being used to automatically handle some of your high volume, repeatable administrative tasks like scheduling and billing and insurance and things like that. And another form of AI, the chatbot, can be used to communicate with patients. For example, it can encourage them through text to take their readings and it can maybe even provide them with educational information and things like that.
0: There's been a lot of buzz around ChatGPT these days, and I bet there's gonna be a lot more chat applications in healthcare. What do you think? I
1: think ChatGPT is a great example showing the potential that AI has to really disrupt those old ways of doing things. Even Google is worried about being disrupted by ChatGPT. But another big AI use case that's already available right now is using AI to sift through all the mountains of patient data you get from remote patient monitoring. So the AI can look for red flags and then alert the providers as needed. So this kind of provides the clinician with a second set of eyes, so to speak. But the real power of AI goes beyond just this diagnosis and detection. There are these new deep learning AI algorithms that are out there nowadays. They can be trained to spot some pretty subtle non-diagnostic patterns in the data. And then they provide a kind of prognostic risk score and maybe it says, this patient isn't in trouble now, but they'll probably be in trouble in a few weeks or maybe even months. So in that case, it might be a good idea to give them a little extra attention right now before it's too late. And lastly, I'd say AI can be really helpful for clinical decision support. So for example, based on the patient variables and conditions, maybe it recommends some guideline based drugs or treatments, or it predicts the response to a particular therapy. Again, this is the kind of thing that you'd use AI in conjunction with the clinician's judgment, but not replacing it.
0: All right. I'm a believer. There's no doubt that AI can be incredibly helpful in medicine, but let's change and look at implementation. What are some of the barriers you have seen to implementing RPM?
1: So, one issue that comes to mind that's pretty commonly cited is low patient adherence to taking measurements. So, maybe in the first few days, the patient's pretty diligent, but over time, the measurements get fewer and fewer and fewer, right? So, some of the simple things you can do to combat these kinds of compliance issues is to select the most user-friendly and easy-to-operate sensors that you can find, and especially ones that minimize the burden of communicating the data back to the ER. That should all be as simple and seamless as possible. You can also try to provide frequent reminders and utilization metrics that kind of helps to motivate them to keep taking their measurements. This is often about educating them about their condition and how their participation is actually helping themselves. And it just kind of empowers them, I think, to be involved in their own care and not just a bystander taking orders. Another thing that I think we've alluded to already is optimizing that back-end response to the data. So this might include things like the ability to automatically integrate that RPM data directly into the EH. And then as soon as it's available, use some sort of automated analysis. And again, maybe lastly, the RPM programs really need to have some well-defined policies and procedures for how they're handling alerts. And that's going to require provisions for adequate staffing and 24-7 coverage and things like that.
0: You know, this is all great information. And I think, Dr. Joe, you and I could probably talk on this for a whole lot longer, but we're running low on time. So any last words you'd like to add to help healthcare organizations be successful with RPM?
1: I'd say that if you're just starting out, You need to be prepared to manage the whole process of organizational change at your hospital because one of the biggest barriers you're probably going to encounter is just institutional inertia. So for starters, identify your champions and your early adopters and they can help you in the implementation process. There's also going to be a lot of stakeholders involved that you're going to have to get on board through really good programs for education and guidance and maybe even a little bit of cajoling here. From a technology standpoint, point, you'll need to create a really strong digital architecture built for the long haul because RPM is just going to get bigger and bigger in the future. Now I think everyone here might be a little different. So whether you as an institution choose to buy or build or partner for your RPM technology, it's probably really going to depend on your unique circumstances. And lastly, I'd say just be prepared to adapt your program through iteration. So this means periodically evaluating your program against your goals and your metrics and then changing what needs to be changed. So that also means stopping if it's not working. But I think through this iterative type process, you can get your RPM program better and better.
0: Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Knowledge on the Go. I'd like to thank Dr. Cummings for speaking with us today. And thank you to our listeners for taking the time to join us. And please look for a future Knowledge on the Go podcast. For Vizian's PI Programs team, I'm Courtney a white Please join us for more Knowledge on the Go. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments at Collaboratives at com.